Welcome, everybody. It's Thursday. This is episode four of Say Who, Say Pod, a UW football podcast hosted by myself, Christian Capel, and Danny O'Neill. And Danny, last week we explained why we changed our podcast name, but if we just waited a few more days, we could have called this the Academically Prowess Podcast. <laughs> yeah, that would have been good. I, I th- Yeah, the acad- we have incredible academically prowess. Yes. Right? We because it wasn't even it wasn't even grammatically correct dogging. I will say we are as academically prowess as any podcast I've <laughs> ever come across. It's, uh, so when I saw it, my first reaction was hell yeah, like mock them, like make fun of them. Great, call them stupid. Um, and as it's gone on, I've been like, man, that's such a lame burn. It's not that I mind a cheap shot, and it's not that I even mind making fun of Oregon or bulletin board material. It's just not a it's not good. It's not it's not good trash talk. And then the Oregonian writer just sent something. I guess I guess Jimmy was on Softy. Does Softy host his his pregame or his coach's show? It was his coach's show last night. Yeah, and he he was asked for one word to describe Oregon. He said, give me three and called it school to the south, which is four. Come on. Come well, on. If, if he's if, I could see subconsciously like the word the is lowercase in titles and stuff. It's kind of an add on. Well, we'll give him we'll give him a little a little break there. But that's I, not even original. right? Isn't <laughs> that what the Ohio State and Michigan coaches say about each other? We were talking about this earlier this week that, yeah, like it when he first got the job, I heard him refer to Oregon as. Um, the team to the south or school to the south a couple times and I I kind of wondered like is he is are they gonna go with this is this which like yeah okay a little, little spiciness you know we're, we're not gonna say their name type of thing like but I, I did kind of think like well but yeah that's that's Ohio State's thing with Michigan the team up north yes. so and, and even that's kind of yeah yeah but at least it's their thing like it's original exactly exactly we're biting it so I was thinking about maybe Jimmy just needs better writers. And and being is that I'm in a position where I'm currently looking for work, perhaps I could volunteer myself as as the writer for Jimmy Lake. You can lead the because, writing room. Yeah, because the the way to say the thing when he was asked about recruiting, like the actual good burn would have been to say like, yeah, people say that a lot, but one of the things that's unfair is it's just harder for us to get kids into our school than it is for them at theirs. Like that is is legit I mean, it's not nice. It's probably not that accurate, but at least that's a solid burn, right? Like you're covering your butt for getting walloped by them in recruiting. You're you're taking a dig at their academic standards. Like that's an actually well-executed burn, as opposed to the, we go up against teams that have more academic prowess than than Oregon, which is just lame. It is. I, listen, if he'd gone into the press conference telling himself, you know what, it's rivalry week. Yeah. We're gonna have some fun. I'm gonna make fun of our opponents' academics. That I think that'd be totally fine. I think I think coaches should do that more. You know, you can you can rate the diss, uh, you know, however you want. But like consciously deciding I'm gonna talk some trash. I think college football coaches should do that more. I think what people are missing, if you watch the video of it, it it really I I believe him when he says that he was not intending it as a burn. I think he legitimately believes. I, I, well, I know for a fact they legitimately believe that 
their recruiting rivals and the, the schools that they want to position themselves next to in terms of messaging and the type of player they're targeting really are Stanford and Notre Dame. And he mentioned USC. And that's that's actually accurate based on where kids UW offers end up end up signing. Um, my my issue with it was just that it wasn't true, that they recruit the same players as Oregon all the time. Look at Washington's roster and you know, up and down, offense and defense, they've got kids who had Oregon offers. You look at Oregon's roster, they've got a ton of kids who had Washington offers. In the current class that's still in high school that hasn't signed yet, there's two kids in Oregon's class who were committed to Washington at the same position and six other kids who had Washington offers. So offers aren't everything, um, especially in college football. You never quite know what they mean. Just because you offered a kid doesn't mean you recruited him hard, that sort of thing. But I just, I, I had done that that research for a story back in January. And so when he said that, I, it just kind of perked my ears up like, well, no, actually more kids with UW offers signed with Oregon than any other school, except for Washington over like the last five years. Um, I, you know, I, I did see a lot of people saying like, oh, come on. It's just, it doesn't matter if it's factual or not. It's just trash talk. He's just taking a dig. I really don't think he consciously thought <laughs> I'm taking a dig at Oregon. I really don't. I, I honestly like when he's when he says, "Oh, I was just talking about." I honestly believe it. There was no, there was no twinkle in his eye. There was no really? hit. There was no he hit. He, there was he no like the reposition. I'm gonna reposition. You know, sit up real nice here and make sure everybody <laughs> hears me loud and clear me. Make fun of my opponent. I truly do not think it entered his mind that it was a diss. <laughs> the thing that I like that you pointed out in the story, and I think that actually reflects well on Washington, is that Washington. Oregon and USC, like those are the, 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 those are the, Oregon and USC are the two teams that Washington recruits with for the most kids. And you know what? That, that sounds about right. Like that, that's a good reflection on Washington, that they're not a secondary, because it used to be, it used to be when I was in school in the nineties, UCLA and USC were considered the two schools that had the best talent and UCLA, perhaps because of the the, the softness of their student body and just the general, like it's tough to be a good football player over in Westwood. We're, we're kind of perennial underachievers, even at that point. And now Oregon, Washington and USC like that. That's, that's good company. Washington does not recruit against Stanford. Not really. I mean, if a kid's interested in going to Stanford, he's not going to choose Washington ahead of Stanford. I firmly believe that. So like when was it Zach Banner that went down there? And uh, Josh Garnett, Josh Garnett and Zach Banner went to USC when it it was more for me. I was like, ah, oh, Banner could have been the one that they got. If a kid's going to go to Stanford, like it's hard. It's hard to argue against that education. And it is harder to get in there. So all of those it's it's just weak, man. It's a weak argument to present. I And, and also you sound like the annoying prep school kid. Like you really do. You can't, well, our school's better. All of us know that you can get a great education wherever you go, right? That the education you get has more to what you put into your schooling than what the school gives to you. Totally. I, I know tons of morons that come from really good schools. So like I don't, I don't believe that. So it's what, what Jimmy said is basically what the annoying kid that you think didn't get beat up enough in junior high says about the quality of his school. Yeah, teams that compete for national championships are always touting their academics. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's all it's all you hear Nick Saban talk about. Yeah, see, and I think that's a legitimate of like, hey, it's just easier to get him in down there, or to say like because 
Oregon has an approach where they offer a ton more kids, right? I know a couple of years ago I was looking, they had hundreds of offers out and Washington had like 120. I think in 2021, it was like 244 to Washington's 103. I mean, that was a, that was a weird, really weird recruiting year for a number of reasons. But yeah, it's... They were more selective. That was Chris Peterson's thing. They they take everybody. They 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 cast a wide net and haul in who they get up. We're very focused on the kids that we get. Like that's a good message and kind of a subtle burn. Academic prowess is it was not the way to go. The real insider recruiting burn would be something along the lines of yeah, Oregon's Oregon's recruited really great recently. Um, We've we've taken particular pride in. identifying and evaluating and offering scholarships to the prospects that they come in, you know, something like, see, that's great. That, that's very, that's, great. that's very or much a thing like, at yeah. UW. Like they, they feel, they feel very strongly that they offer kids first and then other schools come in after and, and basically let Washington do the work and, and just tack their offers in and rut, which, Hey, if, if you trust Washington's evaluation, like why wouldn't you just let them do the work? You know? So, you know, that's what we like to call the old new Heisel. <laughs> the old new Heisel. Uh, have you ever – so Aaron Rodgers, when he's coming out of Butt Community College – I'm sorry, Butte Community College, he he gets – he gets he's trying to get recruited. Like he's sending tapes out everywhere. He's trying to get Washington to recruit him. Like he wants – like he's, he's selling new Heisel. It couldn't be bothered. He commits to Tedford at Cal, and all of a sudden, new Heisel's like hot on his tail, like yeah. trying to flip his commit. And you're like, What? <laughs> you you let Ted, you were like oh Tedford wants him I gotta get him that's how it goes <laughs> sometimes that's just bizarre though isn't that weird and if you were a kid wouldn't you think like I think I would quote the great Fife dog R.I.P. if you didn't want me then hun don't love me now yes <laughs> I uh, if only somebody would have done the same with Cooper Cup who was also sending his film to anybody and everybody they that their family begged steve sarkeesian to take a look at him and he couldn't be bothered and he obviously we know how that turned out if only a a cal or a wazoo or someone had come along and (laughs) and offered him a scholarship maybe that would have been the the kick in the ass that washington needed to to come through with it but um not to not to belabor this point too much i i'm so down on college danny just overall like as i'm not well listen I, I loved college. I wouldn't. Have, I wouldn't have done it any differently. I wouldn't have not gone. Um, I. I'm. I think it's kind of a scam for what it costs. Uh-huh. The economics of it really bother me. I don't like how inaccessible it is to people who don't come from means. Okay. Um, and, and I just. I kind of like. I look back now, and I'm not that old. I'm. I'm 34, but I'm 11 years removed from graduating from school, and. I don't know how much I learned that I could like recall or tell you. I think you 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 get this great knowledge base that's like good the your first couple years as as a professional whatever field you go into and you know we're we're journalists talking here. Like I'm sure doctors would have a a very valid <laughs> argument against this. I don't well, I don't know, man. Like you could get everything you need off of Facebook now. Like yeah. you want to be an epidemiologist? Like just get on there and read some links and you're good to go. Yeah, this aortic valve replacement. There's a YouTube video for that, right? You have to do your own research. Like, no, I don't want you doing your own research. I don't want you doing your own research on heart surgery. I want somebody who's had a really hard 10 years of, of, of learning to know how to do that. Uh, I, I, more, I guess more what I mean is that a school is a school. 
Um, yeah. Kind of what yeah. you referred to. Like, I think the, the very, very top tier, the Ivy League, Stanford, those type of schools, like, yes, it's very rigorous. It, you, you better be a really serious student. You're not going to succeed there if you're not very bright and work really hard. And then I think there's a bottom tier that, you know, maybe is, is a little bit below, but geez, uh, for the most part, a, a school is a school. Like you said, you know, kids, in the, it's, it's so much more about the individual student and what you want to make out of it. Um, you know, I like, have you ever gotten a job because of where you went to school? Has anyone ever, ever hired you because you went to the university of Washington? No, no, I don't think so. All, all my jobs have basically come from people that I've met within the journalism industry or taking a job at the Seattle times to answer phones at night when I was in college. Yeah. And there you go. And I, you know, a UW degree in our field is like, you know, maybe kind of a detriment. We're not, we're not one of the favorite schools, you know, so See, but that annoys me too. Like that idea. Oh, that it does. You, yeah, totally. That, that, that there, are, there are certain factors. I graduated in '97. Um, I, I, I'm very fortunate in the sense that when I went to UW, it was still feasible to, it was still feasible to pay your own way. Like I got a scholarship from the company my dad worked for, Warehouser, and and was able to to make it in that way. So I, I feel that my experience bears very little resemblance to the kind of debt kids can or are asked to take on now to go to a four-year school. And I think that part is really sad. Um, I, I, I get what you're saying though. And, and I do. And that's probably, that's probably a big part of why like Jimmy's, I don't care that he insulted Oregon. And I really don't particularly care about whether it was factually valid or not. The way that he did it was annoying. Like it was just it's it's what the annoying kid does when that you want to give a wedgie to because you think that he hasn't quite suffered enough. He's like, my school's better than yours. Speaking of, the Washington Huskies finally were the ones giving the wedgie to the Stanford Cardinal last weekend. Um, I believe your your prediction of the nerds putting the Huskies in a locker was very widely held, uh, shared by many Husky fans. And so, look, for... Much of this game, it felt like yet another game that Washington had every chance to win, yet was going to find a way to lose in the fourth quarter, settling for field goal, settling for field goal, settling for field goal. Another failed fourth and short quarterback sneak. Um, Stanford's able to come take a lead. Uh, And Dylan Morris leads his third fourth quarter comeback uh, game-winning touchdown drive in 12 starts, which is kind of a crazy stat when you consider how stagnant their offense and their passing game has been. Um, what are you thinking as he drops back to pass and, and puts that ball up, clearly taking a shot to the end zone to Jalen Hill in there? Yeah. Legitimately, legitimately pumped. I was like, yes, go for the jugular. And I actually, I liked the way the, the, where the throw was too. It was, it was, it was down the sideline. I feel like those are relatively safe. I, I, I felt like he, he put the ball in a place where I didn't think there was much risk of an interception. Um, I was I was pumped when they threw it. Um, I did not have the oh dear God no, just kick the field goal because I've seen too many field goals. Well, against Oregon, I, I've seen field goals that should have won it going. So I, I was I was pumped when I saw. Here's my you mentioned the three fourth quarter comebacks and twelve starts. Why will they not throw the ball before they absolutely have to? What what? And, and it was clear in this game, they were not going to throw the ball until they absolutely, if, if they could have, if Jimmy Lake could have nursed a nine, three victory out of this game, he wasn't going to take any chances putting the ball up in the air. And, and I don't get that. 
I, I, I don't, especially when you see when they did start throwing it, they were able to move it effectively. And yeah, I know they're averaging 5.5 yards a carry, but people will tell you like people in football, you run to, you, you, you run to win, but you throw to score. And why, why could they not put the ball in the end zone? It's because they would not put it in the air when they got down there. And it almost bit them in the butt. They're one third down completion away from losing that game, right? If, if, that, if that third and sixth play where the pressure comes, if, if, that, if that pass is completed by Stanford, Washington doesn't get the ball back or they get it back with too little time to even really make much of a difference. Yeah, that was the game, basically. And, and, because, and, and look, all the credit to Dylan Morris because I thought he played a heck of a fourth quarter. But even that first drive, that first drive that ended with the failed quarterback sneak, they didn't throw a pass on it. Like he's just like we're we're not going to throw this ball until we have to, and I don't get that. I think Jim. I know he addressed this a little on his coach's show last night. Uh, Jimmy Lake. Basically. Did he use one word and then choose four? <laughs> or did he did he actually? It made a coherent point. Uh, he he did basically saying that you know when against Arizona when things opened up and they they were able to hit some big passes and then also last week too and the, the last couple drives that. The defense was dictating some of that, and um, that they got some more ideal looks. I I, I kind of think against Stanford, it was like, oh my god, like we're running the ball. They we're getting five six yards of carry. Like, well, you know, keep doing it. God, don't don't stop now. We might not be able to do it ever again. You know, I think there was some, <laughs> I think there was some sense of that. Of and it did, but clearly the game plan was they are not going to throw the ball unless they absolutely have to. But even when you would think they absolutely have to, like. A First third, and twenty, a third and seven <laughs> in the red zone. Although that, is that was that the pitch to Cameron Davis? Because there was a third and six I was howling about, and I guess they would have gone for it on fourth down there, but it worked. The the third and seven was the give to McGrew, and I, I went back and watched the game. That wasn't as terrible of a call as it seemed. Stanford only had six guys in the box, and the Huskies had Kate Otten lined up, you know, in line on the line of scrimmage. So like they should have had a hat on a hat, and I can see why you know, Dylan Morris would get up to the line and think that, okay, yeah, like you should be able to, to get the yards here, but they, they didn't, they didn't match seven up. Right. Yards. And a guy came free. Seven, they should. Yeah. You got look, yards it, on, it's seven yards on a third down play. You got to throw the ball there. You yes. Not just, you have to throw the ball there, but like you need to have the belief in your quarterback and your offense that you can get that. You can get seven <laughs> yards. Yeah. Going with, I mean, if you call a run play there, you really have to. You really have to believe we've we've completely got him. We've got the perfect. No, you know what? You should never run the ball on third and seven when you need the first down. You just you should not no, do it. No. If you're gonna go, if you're gonna go for it on fourth down, maybe. If you're gonna go for it on fourth down, maybe. But yeah, I, I don't. I don't get. So I'm, I'm torn. My my mental model for Jimmy Lake is one of two things now. Uh, the first one is that I think that he's. Like Gilby, or I'm sorry, like Jim Lambright, except super personable. Like he's got a lot of the same traits as Lambright. He's the longtime defensive coordinator for a head coach that led the school to great heights. He then gets his chance to run the team, and it's just he's he's just not competent. Just not competent as the head guy. But he's more more sort of likable than Lambright was. Like he he puts up a better. The second one is that he is like Pete Carroll, two thousand. Eight, no, like 2013 Pete Carroll on steroids in his game management, in which I don't want to throw this ball at all until we get to the fourth quarter. 
I don't want to throw it at all. I'm just going to rely on my defense and I'm going to rely on the running game. And he doesn't have Marshawn Lynch and he doesn't have the Legion of Broom defense. So I'm not sure which those are my two mental models for Jimmy these days, though. Can they beat Oregon without throwing the ball? No, God, no, they're going to they've got to score 30 points, don't they? I'm going to this game against my better judgment. I was not planning to. They beat Stanford and I'm like, all right, all right, I'm doing it. I'm getting on a plane or getting on a getting on a train on, on Friday afternoon to come up from Portland where I am right now. I'm, I'm going to go to it. against my better job. I'm going to take a red eye flat flight back because I have to be back in New York on Sunday. But I'm, I'm going to do it uh, against my better judgment. I'm coming. To it's, a good, sco- it's a good thing you're taking the train because I think you would be battling a lot of traffic coming north from Portland. Oh yeah. Like I, I just have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of duck fans at this game. I don't know why I don't like, I don't have any, any empirical like data to support that. It's just kind of a, the way things have gone for Washington. I would imagine that some tickets probably came available <laughs> over the last eight weeks, not so much over the last two weeks. And, you know, maybe people who, uh, who decided to, to sell or, or not to go, Maybe you're having second thoughts because, shockingly, first place in the Pac-12 North is at stake somehow. Um, if Washington wins this game, they'll be in a three-way tie at least and probably a four-way tie, assuming Oregon State takes care of business. So, um, yeah, I, it, isn't that nuts? They're 4-4. Four and yes. four. They lost to Montana. They were 2-4, and four, and, and yet if they beat Oregon, they'll be tied for first and, and actually like in somewhat decent position going forward because they'll have the tiebreaker or would have the tiebreaker in that instance. It is weird. It's very strange. When I was looking back through different Pac-10, I was going back far enough for Pac-10 seasons. It happens like this in the Pac in the conference. Like you tend to have weird things that kind of sort themselves out. Ninety-four, that year that that Oregon wins the conference and goes to the Rose Bowl for the first time and whatever, they were three and three going into the game against Washington. They'd lost to Utah. They'd lost to. Hawaii, and they'd been beaten by the Cougs, I believe. Yeah, they'd lost to the Cougs because that was the game that the other Danny O'Neill came in after Graziani suffered an ankle injury. Um, it it happens this way. Like this is going to be a year where it really over the final month, a lot of people still have chances. And and it's not that I don't think anyone's that good. What Oregon's ranked seventh? Like they've got a win over third. Ohio State. They're third. They're, they're third in the playoff rankings. Yeah. Um, yeah. How many points do Washington have to score to beat them? Well, it depends on if you think they figured anything out against the run against Stanford, or if that was just because Stanford doesn't run the ball very well. Um, yeah, I think they, I, tend to, I, I, mean, I, I think they played better against the, I, I think they, I think Carson Bruner was a significant upgrade. I, I think he played really, really well. I liked the way Carson Bruner played. He looks like the next stud linebacker for them. I thought so. And I know it's silly to, by the way, I should correct myself, Oregon number four in the college football rankings, not number three. Um, I, I just, he's so instinctive, Carson Bruner. Yeah. And he's so, yeah. he's so physical. And, you know, Bob Gregory was talking a little bit yesterday about, you know, he kind of ad- admitted, like, when you're watching high school film, he's like, it, it is, it's just, it's hard to evaluate instincts. You really don't know. Like you could be looking at a superior athlete who's playing against kids who are not his his equal on an athleticism scale, and maybe that's why he's dominating. That's why he's arriving at the ball and knows where everything's going because he's just he's just so fast and so rangy. Um, but I think with Carson Bruner, you can tell. You know, he he studies a lot of film. He obviously has a a really high football IQ. 
Um, he's he's a great player. He's a he's a great athlete. He's a really sound tackler. Um, he he just he rallies to the ball with a certainty and a lack of hesitation that you would think every college linebacker would have, but it's really, it's something that's really hard to coach. And I think is, you know, only comes about if you, if you kind of put in the preparation and put in the work and are really confident in, in your, your run fits and your keys and, and what you're reading, um, which from a couple of people I talked to, I wrote about him today for a story that that's up on the athletic right now. That's kind of been his MO his his whole, uh, his whole football life, you know, even going back to, as a freshman in high school, he was he could figure he could figure out where plays went. You know, he was really good about knowing that you know what what an offense might run in any down and distance on the fly based on studying them and, and their film and and the plays that they run. And so, I think that's translated at a at a really young age in college. I mean, technically, he's still a true freshman. It's his second year on campus, but um, he looks like a guy, Danny. That I mean, as long as he's healthy, I don't think you can take him off the field for as long as he's at Washington based on the way he played against Stanford. I would agree with you. And it's one of my favorite things about football. It happens in college. It also happens in the NFL where teams have criteria for what they want at this specific position, size and speed. It's usually some combination of there that you've got to be this big to play outside linebacker. You have to be this tall to be a middle linebacker. We need you to weigh this much. And I understand why those criteria exist, because it's really tough to be able to consistently do those jobs if you don't have that measurable. Like there's there's a there's a wealth of of data about how big and fast you have to be to play in that spot where I mean, look, there's some physics involved here of of how strong you have to be to accomplish certain things. But you can always have exceptions. You can always have exceptions to that based on whether you want to call it instincts or it's it, it's the the studying part of it. Lofa Tatupu is one of my favorite examples. Um, I think enough time has passed, he won't get mad about this. Lofa has a freaky understanding of spatial relationships, and it's it's not it's not something that you could ever coach. I think it's probably pretty hard to test for. And one of the examples he gave me was that there was an exam he had to take and there was a multiple choice and he was in a position where he saw a series of the answers and he was able to memorize them based not on a b c d but how they looked in sequence wow like talking about a bank of like 25 questions it was just how he saw things like that that understanding whether you want to call it pattern recognition or whatever that is and Lofa was someone who clearly, look, that guy didn't get offered by anywhere coming out of high school. He was too small. He ends up going to, I think it was Maine he goes to. There was the, the University of New Hampshire coach said that he's not big enough to play. We just don't think he's big enough to play wildcat football. And, <laughs> and, and he ends up like, even when he transferred from Maine, Oregon offered him. And it was, USC was not going to give him a scholarship. And he ended up, he ended up not just being a great college player, but like he was the NFL defensive rookie of the year. And it's because when you have those, there are exceptions to those rules. And, and it's not that the standards are wrong. It's just that they only give you an idea of what is most likely, what is how, how big you have to be most likely to excel. And if, if you can do something, Ben Burke Irvin was someone who absolutely was not, as fast as people say you needed to be 
to play middle linebacker. And he was one of the best college linebackers I've ever seen because he never took a wrong step. Doesn't it, it, You're faster. You play faster be, because of that. Um, I, I was really excited to watch how he played. And he did. I thought he looked really physical. I, I agree with that. I thought he looked really, really good. Very similar to Lofa Tatupu. I actually could uh, memorize multiple choice answers one at a time looking at the paper of the person sitting next to me. So... <laughs> Is that is that academic prowess? That, that actually relates to that, that. Yes, yes, that's tremendous academic prowess. That's tremendous academic prowess. I'm just kidding. I I I didn't study and took my C minus like the rest of the dumbasses in my 101 <laughs> classes. Uh, were, were you encouraged? I mean, do you feel better about this team coming coming out of the yeah, Stanford game? Yeah, I do. I thought I thought their defense played its butt off. I I thought I thought that I thought their defense was absolutely awesome. Who's the the freshman cornerback from O'Day? Michelle uh Michelle Powell. He looked awesome. Like put him on that list of I mean clearly he's not McDuffie or, or Kyla Gordon, but he looked like a stud. Yeah. The, the Walk way on. he was out there. Yeah, and and uh Tunu Ufi. Um Yeah, he looks he, really good. Voy, Voy Tunu Ufi looked looked fantastic. I, I think ZTF I don't know if he made as big an impact, but he was on the field for more plays. And he is a difference maker coming off the edge. I was really impressed how their defense played. And that is, I went back and looked like, okay, has Stanford really rolled over Washington? Like I I think they have. And it was, I mean, it wasn't as averaging seven, nine yards a carry like it was when Harbaugh was there. But I mean, that was the best they've played against Stanford in 10 years. And they averaged, held them to 2.5 yards a carry. Like I was, I, yeah, I was, I, w- I was really encouraged by how that defense played. I thought this was Savelle Small's best game too. I would a, agree with that too. A guy who you, know, you kind of been waiting for to make an impact and he's been a rotational player, um, only had a couple tackles through their first seven games. And I, I think he maybe just had a single tackle against Stanford, but he hustles to recover the fumble. Yep. And and then the way that he stayed home and then pressured Tanner McKee on that last incompletion yeah. when they yeah. had they yep. absolutely had to get off the field, had to force an incompletion there. I think he had his guy, you know. I think if he if he's able to roll right clean, I think he's got a throw that's going to be real near the sticks and then it's going to be a you know basically a a fist fight to whether whether he picks up the first down or not, but um Smalls read that perfectly he stayed he didn't bite on the play fake he stayed home he pressured him he got in his face and he forced a really bad throw and you know it's not going to show up in the stat sheet but that's still that's making an impact um you mentioned ztf like i maybe it's it's because of of what jimmy lake said on monday and so that became the dominant narrative um but i think before this season if you'd have said hey ztf is going to be back for the oregon game and we're going to see ztf and Kayvon Thibodeau on the field together in the same game, um, that would have sounded like a, a pretty juicy matchup. Obviously, they're not going against each other, but you know the two, the two who uh, edge rushers. So I think anybody would identify as as you know the two most promising or or highest profile in the conference. Um, I I think it's great news for the Huskies that he's been able to build his reps back up. I don't know if he's to the point where. He can just go play if they're still counting. Hey, yeah, we got to hold him back a little bit. He he can only play here and there and here and there. Um, I, I think on the other side, 
Washington has got its its hands full against Kayvon Thibodeau. They've not pass protected well for most of this season against teams with a lot less talent than Oregon has up front. Um, and this is the most talented pass rusher that that they're going to see. Um, have you have you watched much of of Oregon this year? Have you have you seen this guy in action? Thibodeau, yeah. yeah, yeah, he's a monster. I mean, he's there. There are the most valuable thing in football is an elite quarterback. the The second most valuable thing, I think, is that kind of edge rusher that he is with that bend and that frame. He's he's as fast as you're going to get coming off the edge. And, and it appears that he likes to hit people an awful lot. Yeah, he's he's absolutely a menace. But we don't need to worry about that because Huskies don't throw the ball, right? That's true. Like they're just they're just gonna they're just gonna ram it down their throat. Honestly, that's that's my fear in this game is that Jimmy's gonna go into it and just say like, "Get out the hard hat, boys. We're gonna slog it away <laughs> four yards at a time against these guys." Because I, the thing that makes Oregon such a challenging team. And such a difficult opponent is they pair that kind of speed on their defense with an offense that can run up points. Yeah. Like they, they, that, that combination, because Stanford, Stanford, if they blow you out, it's because they've beaten you to a pulp. Oregon, it can be because they're just so dang fast on both sides of the ball. The speed, the speed that they have, and the speed that they have specifically at that defensive end, it's different. It is, it's they're as fast as any team in the country coming off the edge. How do you, how would you attack them? Because I, I, I think there, there's the perception that you can get more done throwing the ball against this defense than you can running it, and they lead the Pac-12 in yards per rush allowed. Um, they're still pretty efficient as a pass defense. They only give up 6.6 yards per pass attempt, which is tied for second in the conference. Um, their their pass efficiency defense rating is is uh, third in the conference. They're tied for the conference lead with 11 interceptions this year. Um, I I just I think they're really talented all around. I think that this is by far the most athletic defense the Huskies have faced. Maybe Michigan um, is is the the closest comparison. And man, I just, I think Washington's going to have a really hard time scoring points. Like, I think it's one of those, like you've said so many times about games in the Chris Peterson era that no matter what, their defense is going to be good enough to, to keep them in games. They're, you know, they're not going to get blown out because they've always had a, 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 t- a national top 25 scoring defense that's, you know, going to keep the score down. I think that's going to be really, really hard against a team that runs the ball as well as Oregon does if, Washington is just going three and out and, and can't run the ball themselves. Um, and I just, I don't know that trying to attack them down the field is necessarily their ticket to success. Like they need to get the ball in Romo Dunze's hands. They need to get the ball in Jalen McMillan's hands. Preferably trail Bynum will catch a pass this week, which he did not against Stanford. Um, but I, I just, I think that's a, that's a really tough balance um, with how tough it's been for, Dylan Morris to avoid mistakes and, and throwing interceptions when they, they really try to push it yet. That does seem to be the one thing that you're just going to have to do if you want to win the game. So once Washington found out that it was going to actually have to throw the ball to win, we saw, I think I counted it in the fourth quarter. There were three different slants, quick slants to Jalen McMillan. They looked great. What's stopping them from doing more of that? I don't know. I, I, I don't what, know if it's... It, it's it doesn't require pass protection, right? Like that's not a drop back and wait for somebody to go deep. 
it is it's over the middle and I, I, I know that Dylan Morris isn't the tallest quarterback, but I watched that and I was like, why why aren't you doing more of that? Why aren't you doing more of that? Not only that, let's get Odunze involved too, because that's that's where it, it seems like teams are very conscious of the speed Washington has on the outside. Whether or not they and Terrell Bynum when he had the two fifty plus yard catches um, against against Arizona and the big play potential that's there, there are other ways to throw the ball and and I think that this is an instance. I do not want to see them running two out of every three plays through the first two quarters against Oregon because they want to to stall the pass rush and beat them back. They they've got to do things to be aggressive because you're not going to be able to beat. Oregon the same way you beat Stanford with some sort of war of attrition because Oregon has too much firepower. I, there, there are ways to get the ball to your playmakers that don't, that don't require just chucking it deep after a seven step drop. Well, what are they? Yeah. Throw it over the middle. Slants. <laughs> Do that. No more reverses. No more quarterback sneaks either. This is, I don't want to see any more. This, I don't want to see any more quarterback sneaks. This is breaking news that there's other ways to get the ball in the hands of the wideouts. Come I, on. Uh, they've talked about how opponents have have schemed to take away Kate Otten. I think that's shouldn't that be great news that that you've got a tight end that the yes. defense has to dedicate so much thought and energy and resources to if you've got the guys. I mean, if if your receiver room is weak and you don't have playmakers and your tight end is just your guy and they, they take him away. That's not good. But I would think if you've got so much attention focused on a guy, um, you know, a guy who, who might not even be running a route every time, I think that's great. You know, it, it should be when someone says that my, my exact response when I hear that says, so why didn't you take advantage of that? Like if you're watching them scheme to take away a specific target in the passing game, there are ways to take advantage of that, especially with the talent Washington has at wide receiver. What? Okay, great. That's you're right. This should prevent present you with a strategic opportunity, like with your big football brain, to figure out. Okay, if they're making sure he doesn't, let's move him over here, and it'll open up things in other parts of the field. And I have no evidence. There, there is very little evidence that Washington, if if it is defensive attention that has muted Kate Otten's production, that they've been able to take advantage of that. Maybe it's because they're too busy, busy running the ball. Since you're going to be at the game Saturday, which yeah. song would you like to hear played as part of the light show in the fourth quarter? <laughs> Washington, uh, UW Athletics put this out on on Twitter yesterday. No, you don't get to they... you don't get to choose. You have four options. Okay. These are your four options. Don't stop believing. Sweet Caroline. Oh no. God no. God Mis- no. Mr. Brightside. I have no idea what that song is. Uh, by the Killers. You've you've heard it. Oh, okay, yeah, I do. I I yeah. Uh, I actually like that song. That was a, they yeah. Or rock and roll all night. It's either Mr. Brightside or what was the first one? Don't Stop Believing. Yeah. I I got a soft spot in my heart for Journey. They have the best behind the music. I, I love behind the music. 
it's like the perfect in my mind it's the perfect it's a good show for story storytelling right like they all follow the same arc it's just a bunch of young kids with a dream and then they get rich and then they have all sorts of drug problems and then they hate each other and then they get back together because it's just for the music and they're not as big as they once were but they've learned so in the journey one <laughs> they get to the point where you hear all the other band members basically saying yeah one guy thought the band was entirely about him he he, he thought he was the star and it's about steve perry the lead singer right like all of them are saying it and then they go to steve perry and they're like why steve do you think steve perry <laughs> why do you think that journey broke up and he goes i don't know man i think we all just grew in our different ways <laughs> That could also be true. <laughs> hate him. Just hate him. He's like, oh, I, I, I really don't know. It was just natural tensions that pulled us off. So I'm going to go don't stop believing. What if I, I mean, you mentioned Mr. Brightside is, is probably the runner up there. What if I told you that, that Mr. Brightside is a Michigan Stadium tradition? They, they, oh, no. The whole... God, no. No, no. Then don't, don't do that. No. It's yeah. the same thing with Sweet Caroline. We don't borrow things from Boston, right? Isn't that what the Boston does? It is, yeah. Yeah, like no. So they no, took. God, are you serious? They took some heat for this. Um, there is a, I think, a growing number of Husky fans who are kind of fed up with the game day experience and think it could be a lot better and should be a lot better, and that there's a lot of stuff the school does that's just kind of unoriginal and and doesn't have a ton of thought put into it. And I just, I, I just saw these four options and just had to laugh. Um, I would I would love to hear uh, "Wipe Me Down" by Boosie in the fourth quarter. <laughs> yeah, I think okay. I think that would make a that would be a great Husky Stadium tradition. It's every hey, that's <laughs> your first trip to to Husky Stadium, and you know you do all the <laughs> the typical stuff, and then it gets to the fourth quarter, and it's like oh, it's it's "Wipe Me Down" time. <laughs> um, I see a lot of people suggesting "Purple Rain" by Prince. Um, which eh. is, it's a great song. It I, is a great I don't know song. that it fits it's the not, like, it's, it's get the crowd going, though. sing yeah. along type no. of thing. And I love Prince. I love Prince. No, yeah. that's, that's not gonna, that's not gonna do it in a football stadium. Do you like, I, so many people get, they're are very passionate about these things and it's all about the little things that make the game day experience. Yeah. No, you know what I'm passionate about is like having a better product on the field that, that and no purple helmets. I hate the purple helmets. <laughs> I, I, it's a purple I, out on Saturday. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I, I I went. I'm okay with. I'm okay with the purple stuff. I don't like the purple helmets. Purple helmets are the post probation Lambright era that was one of the 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 great disappointments in Husky football, given the amount of talent they had on on those teams. Um, but no, I'm not. I'm I'm not into institutionalized pumping up. Like I didn't like it when they had the hype man. Like I wasn't real. In fact, I was. I was. I was. Uh, chastised by some of my friends for how hostile i was toward the hype man like i, I didn't enjoy that your friends your friends harassing dubs you're yelling at the hype man see now i kind of like the fact that my one friend thought old dubs was lazy <laughs> like I thought, I thought that i found that to be kind of endearing but the thing with game day traditions is that they should be they they have to be and this is a word i hate use like organic it shouldn't be something that's planned by the marketing department yeah. And and those when it's the light show and all of those things, I'm like, okay, fine. But this stuff works when you win. And the other stuff just has to happen. Like that's that's that that's the way it goes. The Mariners do a great job with their game day experience. 
the Mariners do an absolutely great job. They do. And and the game day experience enrages some Mariner fans. And and my belief is it's not about the emphasis that's put on the game day experience. It's that it's the only thing that's done well over the past 20 years. And by looking at it, you're like, I would like the actual baseball product to be as well constructed and thought out as the game day presentation. So if you do game day presentation well and your team stinks, I I don't know if that's going to satisfy anybody. Um, but yeah, people, people get really into that. I love the stadium. I love going to games. I wish there weren't as many night games, though this is a 4.30 start, so that's a little bit better. But I don't find myself like passionate about what song they're going to play in the third quarter so we can rival Wisconsin with Jump Around, which, by the way, I think is a dumb tradition. I think that song stinks. And I think their stupid Jump Around thing that everybody gets all excited about is lame. House of Pain has nothing to do with Wisconsin. It's something annoying white frat kids jump around to. I I, I, that being held up as a model of like this great college. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's just something stupid that they do. And it shouldn't be seen as something that you want to replicate and copy elsewhere. I thought that the Mr. Brightside thing at Michigan was really cool. I still I see that. Before. I still think, and it's, and this week, especially people won't don't want to hear it. Uh, I think shout at Oregon is, is just awesome. I mean, it, you've got, Animal House, which was filmed in Eugene, they they play the scene. It's it's a direct University of Oregon tie. Everybody's into it. Um, I think that is like the college football song. Um, and you know, I haven't been to a bunch of SEC and Big Ten stadiums and stuff, but this came up recently in our company Slack channel. They were asking for um, recommendations or suggestions for what the best like in-game song experience is in college football and. I, I feel like Oregon kind of nailed every everything you're looking for with the shout tradition. I don't know how far it goes back or when they started doing it or whatever, but I just know that's like a that always stands out to me from from their game day experience. And and Washington doesn't really have anything quite like that. No, and that's okay. That's yeah. okay. You don't need a it song. Would be better. It would be better if we beat the pants off of Oregon. They could get, we could get a better game day tradition when we no longer have lost fourteen of sixteen to the Ducks. Yeah, the game day tradition is is um, losing to Oregon when when it comes to Oregon week. So that's oh that hurt. Yeah, that's one day. Well, you know that hurt. it is it that is hurt. it is what it is. Uh, Oregon by six and a half. They opened. I think it's since moved to seven. Um, do you, do you, do you see a, a UW cover in the cards this week? Yeah, man, I'm going, I'm going fully 100% with my heart and not my head. 100% with my heart and not my head. Washington 34, Oregon 30. 34. That's right. 34 That's right. points. That's correct. That's correct. Weird stuff's going to happen. Weird, weird stuff. I'm not sure what weird stuff's going to happen, but weird stuff's going to happen. 34 to 30. What's the over under on words Jimmy Lake and Mario Cristobal will exchange in their post game handshake? I think it's Gosh. like one and a half. Oh, really? You think? Do you think Cristobal is actually mad? No, I just think it's. I think that these coaching staffs very much do not like each other. I I think it's. It might literally just be a handshake. I don't know oh, if there know will what, be ben? any words. You exchanged. know what I want? I want Jimmy as Jimmy as Jimmy Lake. This will be my first audition as a writer. Like for the writing Jimmy Jimmy Lake's material, here's what he does then. When he gets to midfield after Washington has won 34-30 by some uh, 
weird occurrence, whether it's a Trent McDuffie interception return or, or Savelle Smalls running back a fumble, he gives a giant DX crotch chop just right there at midfield. <laughs> and then he goes, it's on like Donkey Kong. <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, I was, I was saying to someone yesterday, like if, if Oregon goes out and hammers Washington, like I think a lot of people think, think they can and maybe think they will academically prowess is going down (laughs) and it's just, it's just going to be part of the rivalry pantheon. Like it's going to be, it's not going to be on the same level as the pick. Um, but it's going to be like when people talk about UW Oregon, it's going to be, you know, the pick, the point. Rick Neuheisel and you know partying on the the O at Autzen Stadium in 2002. Um, Jim Lambright, you know, stumping against Oregon in the lamest possible way to uh, to get UW so into the Cotton Bowl, and it's going to be academically proud. Like it's just <laughs> add it, throw it on there. If if the Huskies win, uh, maybe it's something that Husky fans rally around the other direction, and it becomes it becomes somewhat of like a a cheeky rallying cry rather than a you know a, a face palm moment, but. Yeah. Um, it is like with, with any kind of trash talk, I mean, ultimately it's, if, if you go out and win the game, nobody's going to be upset that Jimmy Lake said some stuff about only exactly. recruiting against academic teams. And if they lose, it's, it's going to stick in their craw. Yeah. You know what? It, if, if they lose, he deserves to wear it. Like, I'll say that. Like there's sometimes where I'm like, Oh, Jeremy Stevens, when he got stuck, I, when he got stuck with the blame for talking trash going into the Super Bowl, like that was that was kind of unfair in my opinion. Like he didn't, he didn't really talk trash. Like he said something that Joey Porter made a big deal about. It was very overblown. Right. Like I was like, yeah, he didn't. And I, I don't like Jeremy Stevens. Like, I think he's a pretty abominable human being. Um, but I was like that, that he got dragged into this with Jimmy Lake. I'm like, okay, man, like you, you wrote a, you wrote a pretty big check. And you didn't you didn't write it in a particularly eloquent or I think like good way, but I, I don't have any problems with it. But if if they lose and he does, it does become a punchline. Yeah, man, you you own that. Like you <laughs> you asked for that. He did. He did. Although I still I still contend. I think he was legitimately surprised that it God, it I became can't. a thing. <laughs> that just. When you said that, so of all the different scenarios that I thought, I did not expect that, that he really thought or thinks that that it's the academic prowess of the institutions that that means that Oregon isn't a rival when they all recruit the same kids. And, and, and they do. And I there's a legitimate argument to be had about whether or not Oregon and Washington can both be elite national power level teams at the same time definitely because of the regional nature of it and that it when one of those teams is really good it's going to require them to get kids from another part of the country and they're both fishing in the same parts of the the same other parts of the country whether it's south southern california or a little while oregon had a light uh, a pipeline into texas but it's the same sort of stuff and and he's like, yeah, no, they're they're not our rivals. It's like, it, well, it, yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly who you got to out recruit. I do. They they've had some. I I'm sure the reason Notre Dame and Stanford come to mind is because like they've had some very like one on one down to the down to the end battles where 
for Kyler Gordon, it was going to be UW or Notre Dame. It, obviously, yeah. everybody remembers Asa Turner. That was very much a UW Notre Dame battle, um, and you know, a bunch with USC too. And I guess they they really they haven't had the like it's signing day. This kid's either signing with Oregon or Washington, and both schools are pushing till the end. But they've had a ton where like both schools were in the top five or in the top yes. three or like were in on the kid and really, really wanted him, but didn't make the top three or didn't make the top five. And like, I think you gotta, you gotta count all those the same too, especially when, you know, one school is, is kind of dominating the, the recruiting rankings recently. Um, and you're going to see a couple of those guys. They're already on the field for Oregon. You know, Troy Franklin is a true freshman receiver making plays. Maliki Matavau, true freshman tight end who's made plays. Byron Cardwell, true freshman tailback who, um, you know, the, the, the Huskies decided to, to take another guy at that position and sort of moved on. So that one's a little bit different, but he's, he's playing too. That's the thing. Like Oregon signs these great classes and the guys go out and contribute like right away. You know, they've, they've got true freshmen who are proving that they belong on the field for what right now is a, a national top four team um, to that. It, it Oregon has had so many legitimate top 10, top five type of teams over the last two decades this one just does not feel like it's in the same class, does it? I, I would agree with that. I, I think it relates to the quarterback. Um, that's that's my opinion. But no, it doesn't. I don't think I don't think they have the offense is not the same. I think their defense might be better, but their offense isn't the same. And um, and as, yet, as it's been before, I think Oregon should rightfully believe that it should be undefeated. You know, they've, they've, yeah. they've just lost the one game and they really gave it away and, you know, had some questionable calls down the stretch, but. Oh, oh, really? oh, that's so, it's really unfortunate. For I can them. tell you oh, feel terrible about yeah, it. Yeah. It's just really disappointing. Yeah. They really should be undefeated. <laughs> <laughs> you're, uh, you're 50% on, on fart noises through the history of this, this, the illustrious yeah, history of this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Len, Len, one out of every two sounds about right. <laughs> um, I I like Oregon to cover. I I kind of think it'll be an interesting game. Um, I'm going to say Oregon wins thirty to twenty. Okay, you're giving them twenty. I'm I'm going to go. I'm going. I'm 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 sticking with my heart. I'm sticking with my heart. Um, I'm going to take some video too of the train ride up tomorrow. See if I can find some Oregon fans on it. That'll be fun. Are you going to ask them what they majored in? Yeah, we'll do we'll do a little essay. We'll, we'll compare SAT scores. <laughs> God, that would have been annoying. <laughs> what'd you get on the What'd you get on the SAT? <laughs> I what you know what I love is you guys you guys you guys, you guys do uh, math one there uh, addition. <laughs> you know why I could I could have never gone to any of the truly academically prowess schools like Stanford or or. Vanderbilt or whatever. I hear kids now who who have the weighted GPAs that are like way over 4.0 and I just roll my eyes. I'm like, what what do you need more than a 4.04? For? Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Why does that even exist? Why, why is there a scale if you can just have more than the top end of the scale? I would downgrade kids. Like for every like part that you're over 4.0, you're like, yeah, that actually <laughs> reflects poorly on you. Yeah, you know what? That's that's greedy. That's too much. <laughs> We're take, you prioritize the wrong things. We're taking You've the kid with the three nine. <laughs> all right, that's all we've got for you, uh, folks. Enjoy, enjoy your um, your rivalry week. If you're going Hate to the week. game, enjoy the game. Yeah, I guess, I guess it is. Hate week.
All right. Thanks for listening, folks.